Justin and Drew and Rose for leading us this weekend. And I think it would be appropriate if we thank the Lord for them. I was talking to Rose's children this morning and asking some questions about them and what they like to do. And, and they all commented that we all play instruments and we play percussion, we play clarinet, we play piano. And I said, I play the radio. <laughs> I don't have to play the piano to know a gift when I see it. I don't have to play a guitar to know a gift when I see it. I don't have to play the drums to know a gift when I see it. The Lord has anointed you guys and gifted y'all. And I thank you for using those gifts this weekend to make my job easier. You prepare our hearts for worship. You prepare our hearts for the written word. You prepare our hearts for the spoken word. You prepare our hearts for the work that God wants to do in our lives. So I thank you for that. Uh, Steve, your staff is fabulous. Your barbecue sauce, okay. The ones that clapped were the ones that he paid on the way in. <laughs> so for some of you who uh, had the barbecue sauce tonight on your pork, uh, most of you probably had the sissy sauce. Some of us that were brave enough had the hot sauce. Well, that's the creation here of Steve. That's why his hair is spiked. <laughs> but it's really good, just telling you. So supper was fabulous. And Ryan, I don't know if you're in here, but I so appreciate Ryan. Is Ryan in here? I don't see him. Well, y'all can tell him that he's fabulous. I love uh, Ryan. I had the privilege to meet Ryan several years ago when I was just an attendee here. Came for a conference and one thing led to another and he came and had breakfast with us and I was eating a bowl of that baked oatmeal that is delicious. I eat it plain. I don't add anything to it to ruin it. It's magnificent. And through that, Ryan called me a year later, asked if I'd be willing to speak. And then he's called me back, which is amazing, uh, to come and speak. And Labor Day, I was supposed to be here this past year. And because of COVID, I couldn't come. And the Lord knew that I needed to be here this weekend because I wanted to be with y'all. I would have wanted to be with those at Labor Day too, but I'm thankful that the Lord has brought me here with y'all. And it's been a joy and a privilege to serve you this week. But more importantly, I don't care where I go. It's a joy and privilege for me to know and serve and love a risen Christ. But I can't wait to go home and share the stories that I've partaken of, whether we're in the gymnasium, whether we're around the lunch table, whether we're riding a golf cart, whether we're walking around campus, whether we're in the Welcome Center I love what God has done this week. And it's not just in you. It's also been in me. So I want to take that moment and acknowledge that, how thankful I am to be here. Without getting any more sappy, let's look at God's Word tonight. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 18 to 22. And I'm going to tell, oh, Tony, man, how do I forget Tony? So Tony is our sound guy. <laughs> Tony uh, was super stressed 
when it started to rain last night. And then he was super stressed when the wind and the rain kicked in this morning and having to bring everything from out there and set up everything in here and make sure I sound good and I wish he could help me look better, but that's not going to help. But I just appreciate, Tony, and your spirit with which you've undertaken this because nothing has rattled your cage externally. I know you have ulcers, but I'm thankful that in the midst of this, you've made it easy for us. So thank you. I want you to know when we clap to uh, applaud the work that these guys have done, we're thanking the Lord. I want to make that distinction. But I'm thankful for y'all's work in the process. And uh, Justin, throw my bag down if that's in your way. All right. So let me tell you a story. There were two robins that flew over a freshly plowed field. And they thought, oh, lunch. And they went down and they started eating some night crawlers and eating some ants and weevils and just gorging themselves and feasting like I did tonight. And a little while later, the sun creeped out behind the clouds and started to warm their backs and their bellies were full and they found themselves getting sleepy and they thought, man, we ought to fly off to our nest and take a nap. And so as they tried to fly and get off the ground, what do you think happened? They were too fat and too lazy to get off the ground, so they just nestled right there in the furrow and took a nap. A little while later, what do you think happened? An old tomcat comes cutting through the field. <laughs> Lunch! And he pounces on the robins, and he's eating the robins, and when he finishes the robins, he's wiping his paws and licking his chops, and he looks up into heaven and says, Father, thank you for Baskin Robbins. <laughs> you guys are good. <laughs> there are times when I tell that joke and I get crickets. And then I follow up with, well, I was told never to tell jokes in public. And then they laugh. So thank you for not letting me fail. But why do I share that silly story? Ice cream's not going to satisfy you from Baskin Robbins. As delicious as that pulled pork was with that sissy sauce on it, it's not going to satisfy you. Only Jesus can satisfy. And when we look at this passage here tonight, there may be some of you in here. Jesus is passing by Dayton, Iowa this weekend. He's passing by Hidden Acres Family Camp. And he's calling you to follow him. And yet there's a battle that's taking place. You can't see it. You may feel it. You may sense it. But it's a spiritual battle. I can promise you I feel it. When I got up to get supper and walked across the dining room tonight, I'm panting. It's a flat surface. There's no exertion involved, but I am panting because I'm losing oxygen. I've got a splitting headache because I'm oxygen deprived. That's physical. That's how I feel it physically. But I know it's spiritual. The enemy doesn't want me here. The enemy doesn't want me to share the message that he's laid on, the Lord's laid on my heart, and the message the enemy doesn't want you to hear it either. So we're tired, 
We're thinking about the bass that we caught. We're thinking about that high chair that fell 30 feet and you thought you were going to die. And you're thinking about the uh, germs that were shared chasing the minnows down the track. And but as they spent this afternoon in prayer, I was praying for you. Asking the Lord to prepare not only your hearts to hear the message, but I've also prayed for your protection. Which then means I'm praying for my protection. And I want the Lord to have his way in our lives tonight. With that in mind, would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I cry help. And I ask even now that you would fill my lungs. Lord Jesus, I ask even now that you would speak through your servant. I pray, Lord, that the meditations of my heart and the meditations of my mind and the words that proceed from my mouth, may they come straight from your throne. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you drive the message supernaturally home into the hearts and lives of your children. But Lord, I also pray the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary that you would cover this auditorium, that you would cover your children here, you would cover the sound system, you would cover the message, you would cover me, and that you would bind the enemy from this place in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And would you cast he and his minions into the pit of hell from whence they've come never to return. Satan, you're not welcome here tonight. Jesus, thank you for being here, waiting to meet with us. We worship you, we honor you, we adore you, we praise you. And we commit this message to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here again, I'm if you are able, I'm going to ask that you stand in honor of reading God's Word. From Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. May God bless the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Tonight I want to suggest to you three observations from this passage the first observation I want to suggest to you here is Jesus' call. Jesus' call. For Jesus said, come, follow me. That's what he told James and John and Andrew and Peter. But when we look at this passage, this is the second time that Jesus had called Andrew and Peter. The first time Jesus called Andrew and Peter... He called them into salvation based on John chapter 1. Verse 29, it said that Andrew and the apostle John were followers of John the Baptist. 
until John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew and John left John the Baptist, and they followed Jesus. And they went to Jesus and said, Where are you staying? And Jesus said, Come and see. And I believe at that point is when they were invited into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, thus leading to salvation. But here in this passage is now the second time that Jesus has appeared to Andrew and Peter, and he's not calling them to salvation. He's calling them into service. Jesus is calling for his disciples to follow Christ in both physical nearness, meaning his buddies, as well as in their spiritual development of their Christ-like character. He wanted them to join him in his earthly ministry to prepare them for what was to come, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But I want to, you to notice a couple of things here with Jesus' call. Notice the place of their calling. Look where they were when Jesus called them. They were practicing their profession. Some interesting observations here for me. Where did he call Andrew and Peter? They were fishing, which to me implies that Andrew and Peter were good at evangelism because they wanted to catch fish. And then where do you find James and John? They were with their father Zebedee on the seashore mending their nets, which to me implies that James and John were inclined to be disciple makers in keeping the fish. So for me, you need both. You need evangelism and discipleship. They go hand in hand. You don't have one without the other. And so Jesus calls these guys to follow him. But Jesus calls you and me where we are into a personal relationship with him to join him. Wherever you're practicing your profession, whether you're a student, whether you're a businessman, whether you're a farmer, whether you're a coach, whether you're a United Healthcare employee, whether you're a camp director, wherever you are, Jesus is calling you to follow him. He also calls us out of a life of sin and separation into a life of salvation and service for the King of Kings. As I've shared before, on the 28th of January, 1978, I was in my parents' living room watching a Billy Graham crusade on TV when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. On the 25th of January, 1990, I was at Baylor University as a student, and I was in my apartment there in Waco where God called me to preach the gospel based on Jeremiah chapter 1. Where were you when God called you into salvation? Where were you when God called you into service? And mind you, when I say God's calling you into service, that doesn't mean you're going to be a missionary in Africa. That doesn't mean you're going to be a pastor of a church, although it could mean both those things. God is calling you into serving him as a student, as a worship leader, as a camp director, as a dentist, as a lawyer, as a doctor, as a mom, as a dad, as a son, as a daughter. He's calling you to serve Christ. But I also want you to know it's not the, just the place of their calling, but look at the price of their calling. 
There's a great price for following Jesus. In this passage, you see, what did they do? They gave up their profession, meaning they left their fishing behind. They gave up their possessions, their boats, their nets, their fishing tackle. And James and John even left their parent. There's a price to follow Jesus. And the scripture in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Christ. Follow me. Well, what does the cross represent? Is that bluebell ice cream, the best ice cream in the country? No. It means sacrifice. It means death, dying to self, so that the life of Christ could be made alive in you. We're called specifically to salvation. For the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the Bible also says that we're called into service. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual act of worship, another translation says. But we're also called to sanctification. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And a church definition for sanctification is the process of sinning less and less and becoming more and more like Christ. How thankful I am that God's not through with me yet. There was a worker, a factory worker named Dimitri who was arrested by the KGB for holding church services. And they brought him into prison and they tried to get him to recant his faith, to reject Jesus, and he refused. And so they would beat him, and the prisoners would mock him and spit on him and say all sorts of terrible things. And every morning, Dimitri would get up he would face the east, he would raise his hands, and he would sing, Oh God, give me strength. And the prisoners would curse and yell, and the guards would come in, and they'd beat him. They did that every day for 17 years. And they couldn't break Dimitri. And then the KGB thought, There's nothing else we can do, so we're going to take his life. So they come into his jail cell one morning, and they jerk him out, and they were going to execute him. And as he's walking down the concourse of the jail, all the gates of the prison open and every prisoner came out and they faced the east and they raised their hands and they said, oh God, give me strength. The KGB didn't know what to do, so they released Dimitri and he went home to his wife and kids. There's a price to God's call in your life. But then, not only the place and the price, I want you to notice the promptness of their calling. It says immediately twice. Immediately they left their nets. Immediately they left their father. Immediately they followed Christ. And what have I said all weekend? Delayed obedience is? Thank you. Delayed obedience is disobedience. The call to follow is not just to be heard, it's to be done. 
Jesus is passing by and he's calling you into salvation. He's calling you into service. But you have a choice. How will you respond tonight? Jesus may be calling you into a personal relationship with him. He may be calling you into a life of service. Like Terry Baxter with all that he's doing with Haiti and with all he's doing with Africa. And if you want to learn more about that, go talk to Terry and go up to the grain silo here on the backside of the camp and let him tell you what God's doing. Maybe the Lord is calling you to teach a Sunday school class. Maybe the Lord's calling you to start a Bible study in your neighborhood. Maybe the Lord is calling you to start a prayer ministry for your church. Maybe the Lord's calling you to support Hidden Acres Christian Camp. I don't know what God's calling you to do. But when Jesus calls, will you respond? Secondly, I want to suggest to you here, not only do we see Jesus' call to follow me, secondly, we see Jesus' commitment. I will make you. I will make you. My dad's favorite verse is Philippians 1.6. It says, He that began a good work in you will perform it or complete it until the day of Christ Jesus' return. Praise God, he's not through with me yet. And my dad would say, oh, Lord, you got a lot of work to do with this one. But thankfully, God is still working in me. He's still breaking me. He's still molding me. He's still making me. He's committed to me. Romans 5.8, I've said that before. But God demonstrates or clearly proves his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, while we are still dead in our sin, Christ died for us. He proves his love for us. Look at the cross. Gideon, the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 7, it's a great story. If you look at Judges chapter 6, the nation of Israel is under oppression for seven years under the Midianite army. And every harvest time, the Midianites would come in and they would burn the homes and do awful things to the women and they would steal the kids and put them into slavery and they would take the cattle and take all the crops and kill the men. And for seven years, because of Israel's disobedience, and that woke Israel up and they started repenting of their sin and crying out to the Lord to deliver them and says that Jesus came himself and sat under a terebinth tree and he called Gideon. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You squash grapes in a wine press to produce grape juice or wine if you're not Baptist. Um, <laughs> just keeping it real. <laughs> <laughs> And so Gideon is terrified of the Midianites. He's also smart, but he's terrified. Because Jesus said, Gideon, almighty man of fearless courage, I've called you, chosen you, to lead my children into victory over the Midianites. And then if you read the passage in Judges 7, Gideon gave several excuses. Uh, Lord, I'm a farmer. I'm the least of my father's house. You don't want me. 
And later on in Judges chapter 7, verse 9, I believe, the Lord remembers when he met Gideon, who was threshing wheat in the winepress, was afraid. And now the Lord had whittled down 32,000 Israelites to 300 men. And the 300 men were going against 135,000 Midianites. And they were all quaking in their boots. These weren't Spartans. These were farmers, not fighters. And the Lord said, Gideon, if you're still afraid, go down and hear what the enemy says about you. Oh, and by the way, take Pura, your armor bearer, and take him with you and go find out what they're saying. So sure enough, Gideon and Pura go down to the camp, the Midianite camp, and they hang out outside of a tent. And at the tent, they hear the two roommates having a discussion. And the one roommate said, I had a dream. Can I tell you about it? It was a loaf of barley bread that rolled into camp, and it struck the tent and collapsed the tent. I have no idea what that means. And his roommate said, that's easy. If you had gone to Iowa, you could have figured it out. <laughs> oh, I meant to say Iowa State. Well, Iowa State does have the best middle school es uh, education in the state of Iowa, but that's for another discussion. <clears throat> so the loaf of barley bread represents Gideon in the Israelite army. The tent represents the Midianites. And when that loaf of barley bread hits the tent and collapses the tent, God is going to give Israel and Gideon the victory over us. And after hearing the interpretation of the dream, immediately Gideon stood up and he worshiped the Lord. I'm not quite sure what that looked like. I don't think he did a dance and did cartwheels and shout and hoot and holler. But I believe in his heart he was worshiping the Lord because the Lord had told him at that point, I believe it's six times in toward the latter part of chapter 7, he had told Gideon eight times, I'm going to give you the victory. But at this point, now he believes and he goes back and he tells his 300 men, this is what we're going to do. God's going to give us the victory. And they go into battle. God is committed to giving you the victory. Committed to giving you the victory over sin. Committed to giving you the victory in your marriage. Continue to give you the victory in your school. Continue to give you the victory over the enemy whom we've prayed against tonight. He's promised to give you the victory. Why? Because Jesus is committed to you. But yet Jesus also wants us to be committed to him. He's called us to a great commitment to go and tell through the Great Commission. As you are going, preach the gospel, Mark 16 says. As you are going, go make disciples, Matthew 28 says. That's what Christ is calling us to make a commitment to. But he's also called us to a ministry of reconciliation based on 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now all these things, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
So an ambassador is someone that the king sends, or if you want to put it in our terms, the president of the United States appoints an ambassador to go into a foreign land to communicate the president's message to the foreign leaders. And that ambassador is to beg, that ambassador is to plead, that ambassador is to present the message. He's not the authority, but he's been given the authority to communicate the message. In spiritual terms, Christ is calling us to be an ambassador. We are not the authority, but we've been given the message from the King of Kings, and we're speaking for his authority as we go into a lost and dying world that's scared and going to hell. We're called to be ambassadors to go into this world. I'm going to be political here. When I was diagnosed with COVID, I was not vaccinated. And when I spent eight days in ICU, I developed the antibodies. And now those antibodies are going to protect me as I go into a lost, dying, and fearful world to share the hope that I have that's in Christ Jesus. I'm not saying that vaccines are not good. I'm not saying that the virus was not evil. I'm not saying any of those things. What I am saying is that Christ has given me the victory because he's committed to me. And for some reason tonight, I'm really struggling with breathing. That's why I pause and I have to take a breath. But as we sang, it's your breath in our lungs. What has COVID come to do? It's come to steal our breath. It's come to take that away. And what happens when you have no breath? You have no life. And if I have no life, then I can't worship the Lord. In Hebrew, the the name Yahweh, and I can't pronounce it in Yahweh with the breath marks, but it's breathing. Yah is breathing out. Way is breathing in. Yahweh. And you breathe in. I can't do it. But it's Yahweh. And if I can't call upon Almighty God with my breath, then my life is over. And COVID has come to do just that. But with 64% lung capacity, (laughs) you better believe I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Because I know without a doubt that Christ is committed to me. Even in the midst of all of my trials, even in the midst of all of my struggles, even in the midst of all of my pain, I still know that Jesus is committed to me. But my question is, do you know that Jesus is committed to you? My question also is, are you willing to commit your life, your heart, your marriage, your family, your farm, your everything to Jesus? Tom Landry was the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, and I was a huge Cowboys fan when Landry was coaching. When Jerry Jones came in and fired Landry, I want the Cowboys to lose every game they play. Tom Landry, he was, um, one of his quotes on the job of a coach, the job of a coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to achieve. You don't have to do anything that's in God's Word. 
But if you want to become everything that God has intended you to become, then get into God's Word. Get to know Christ. Ladies understand this better than the men do. But when you have your makeup mirror, what does it do? It magnifies, right? And you have lights on them for those that have bad eyes like I do, and it certainly magnifies your imperfections, which I have a lot of. That's why I like these lights, because it doesn't really make me look bad. It makes me look good. But the closer you get to Christ, the closer I get to these lights, the more imperfections you'll see, the more pockmarks you'll see, the more scars, the more wrinkles you'll see. Why? Because I'm getting closer to the source. The closer you grow in your relationship with Christ, the more he's going to expose things in your life that are not of Christ. And it's painful. It's hard. It's ugly. Oh, I can put on a good face. I can wear car hearts and look pretty cool. But God doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the inside. But Jesus is committing to cleaning me up from the inside out. I also know that Jesus is committed to cleaning you up from the inside out. You've all heard this illustration. What happens when you catch a fish? Do you clean the fish before you catch them, or do you catch the fish and then you clean them? You're saying, Jonathan, I'm too dirty, I'm too unclean, I can't come to Christ. I've got to wait till I get my life in order. I've got to wait till I get cleaned up. Why? Jesus is calling you just as you are to himself. Let the Lord clean you up from the inside out. Jesus' call to follow me, Jesus' commitment, I will make you. He will mold you. He will make you. He will break you into the image of his son. He'll break you and mold you and make you into the image of his daughter. And when I say son, I'm not talking about Jesus. And when I say daughter, I'm not talking about someone else. I'm talking about you as a man and you as a lady, you as a boy, you as a girl. That's who Christ is wanting to make us into his son and into his daughter. Lastly, I want to suggest to you here, Jesus' commission to be fishers of men. Fishermen have to be patient. They have to be persistent. They have to work together to catch fish. They have to be willing to ask questions of those around them. Hey, where are the fish biting and what rig are you using? Are you using a Texas rig? Are you using a chug bait? Are you using a bobber with an earthworm on it? What are you using to catch the fish? You're having to use different tackle and different methods. You need the right tools. You also need to endure the weather and where we come from, the snakes. And in here, you've got to endure the mosquitoes. But it demands faith to catch the fish too, doesn't it? I can't see the fish in the water. It takes faith for me to catch them. Oh, okay, you've got a hummingbird or a Lawrence. I get that, but that, you still can't see the fish. It's something big down there, and it could be a turtle or it could be a stump. But when we look here at Andrew, one of the fishermen, I want you to notice something about him, one of, one of his characteristics. 
It says in verse 18, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Throughout Scripture, in lists, Andrew was always mentioned as Andrew, comma, Simon Peter's brother, or Simon Peter's brother, comma, Andrew. He's always known as the brother. And yet there, his name itself means man, it means common. Andrew means man, it means common. He was a fisherman by trade. He was a follower of John the Baptist before he met Jesus. He was an ideal layman. He didn't give a lot of money to the church. He didn't sit on any committee. Nor was he a gifted speaker or an event planner. But he was a soul winner. Throughout his life, you see him bringing people to Jesus. In John chapter 1, he brought Peter, his brother, to Christ. In John chapter 6, he brings a little boy with the five loaves and the two fish to Jesus. And Jesus blessed the bread and the fish. He broke the bread and the fish. And then they distributed the bread and the fish to the 5,000 men plus women and children, which scholars suggest are over 20,000 people. And then they had 12 baskets left over. And then in John chapter 12, Andrew brought some Greeks to meet Jesus. Throughout Scripture, Andrew, whose name means man, means common, was doing some uncommon things for the Lord. And like fishermen, it takes courage, it takes persistence, it takes faith to share the gospel. And it also requires different tools. Some of the tools I use are gospel tracts. And I love using this one, Steps to Peace with God. It was written by Billy Graham. And so I'll go up to the individual and I said, hey, do you know who that guy is? And if they're younger than me, most of the time they say, no, I've never heard of him. I said, that's okay. His message changed my life. I'd like to share a copy with you. And then if they have time, then I go through the message with them. Oh, and if they do know who Billy Graham is, great. His message changed my life. It's the same thing. So that's one way I do it. Another way I do it, my grandpa Lotz, who's a bivocational pastor in the Bronx, who's an engineer for the New York State Telephone Company, and he was a pastor. He created what was called the Gospel Alphabet, A through Z. And what he created was on a note card that he used a typewriter to type, and I've got that one at the house. This is one that we had reprinted for my dad's funeral, and Grandpa would ride the subway, and he'd sit down beside somebody and said, hey, Pop, or hey, Toots, uh, would you quiz me on these? Okay. So they would say, what does A mean? And Grandpa would say, oh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then the lady or the guy would say, well, how about B? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. How about C? Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. D, draw near to God, and I will draw near to you. And then Grandpa would say, what does that mean, to draw near to God? How do you draw near to God? I don't know. Well, let me tell you, and then Grandpa would tell you about Jesus. So those are two of my lures that I use. The gospel alphabet, 
Steps to peace with God. But I also use the stories that God has transcribed on the tablet of my own heart. I use the story of cancer. That builds bridges with people because as I ask questions, sales taught me to ask questions. And when you ask questions, it exposes a pain. When you expose that pain, then there's a natural bridge of a connection. Now, I'm 6'9", I'll shove Jesus down your throat, and you'll sit there and say, thank you, may I have another? But you won't receive that very well. So I've just learned to ask questions, and as I do that, I'm praying, Lord, give me that natural bridge of connection to cross. And so for me, it comes through cancer, it comes through a divorce, it comes through uh, abuse, it, it comes through unemployment, it comes through COVID. And I use that as an opportunity to talk about Jesus. It's just three-story evangelism. As I ask questions about your story, then I connect with my story. Why? So I could share his story. Your story, my story, his story. Three-story evangelism. I've shared that as well. When you go to the grocery store, when you go to Walmart, when you go to Hy-Vee, when you go to whatever the other ones are called around here, and you say... Um, What's the highlight of your week? Try that when you get home. And find, and then you'll think about that. And they'll say, I don't have one. Or they'll say, oh, it's getting my paycheck. That's awesome. I love it when, I, when they say that. Oh, I can't wait for payday Friday. I said, that's great. You know what? I had a bill that I couldn't pay. Jesus paid it all for me. That's all I have to say. If the conversation continues, great. If the conversation ends right there, great. You know what they've heard? They've heard that Jesus loves them and that Jesus was willing to die on the cross for their lives to give them peace and purpose. Oh, let them think about that. And then you come back the next day or the next week and you go through the same checkout line and you follow up with them. What's the highlight of your week? Oh, no, not this guy again. That's great. Could I share my highlight? Oh, I guess you have to, really. I don't want to hear it. And then I start sharing. If Jesus committed his life for you, why can't I commit 30 seconds in the checkout line to ask, what's the highlight of your day? It's a non-threatening question. And then play off of that and tell them about Jesus. And I love it when I go into schools and they tell me right off the bat, you can't talk about Jesus. And I smile and say, that's great. I'm 6'9". What are you going to say, no? <laughs> I can talk about Jesus all I want to in the schools. I am protected legally by the Constitution. But I cannot talk about Jesus and force you to believe the same way I do. I can't tell you what to believe. I can't tell you what to think, which is a shame. But what I can tell you is the difference that Jesus has made in my life. So why don't they want me to talk about Jesus in school? Why? Because there's power in Jesus' name. If I talk about God, what God is that? Is that the God of Buddha, God of Muhammad, God of Joseph Smith, God of the trees? There's no power in God's name. I don't say that disrespectfully, Steve, so don't correct me. There's power in the name of Jesus. I digress. Fishing. 
Soul winning requires faith. One of my brothers that I discipled at Baylor is a professor at Baylor. And every Sunday morning, he's one of the pastors that I pray for. And so this morning, I reached out to him and sent him a text and letting him know how things were going. And he said, Jonathan, don't worry about numbers. He knows that I don't care about numbers. But he said, don't worry about numbers. But I'm praying that God gives you numbers. Meaning of lives that are transformed. For me, it's not about the numbers. God has not called me to save anybody. That's the Holy Spirit's job. God has called me. He has called you to share the gospel. Go sow the seeds of the gospel, of the good news. And so a question, what are your characteristics? Are you so-and-so's brother? My little sister, Rachel Ruth, hated following Morrow and me in school because she would always hear, you're not like your brother Jonathan. He was wonderful. You're not smart like your sister Morrow. What happened to you? She hated following us. She was always known as Rachel Ruth, comma, Jonathan's sister, which I thought would be a great thing. Because <laughs> I think it's great when people say, hey, that's Rachel Ruth's brother Jonathan. Why, yes, I am. But not for Rachel Ruth. So what is your characteristic? Are you just a student? Are you just a hardworking businessman? Are you just a mom? Are you just a grandmother? Are you just a worker? Then let me give you a list of ordinary people that God chose to do extraordinary things through. Noah was a drunk. He probably went to the University of Iowa. <laughs> Abraham was too old. Steve, Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. And if you're a Leah in here, I didn't say that. God did. <laughs> but you're not ugly. Joseph was abused. So was Jonathan. Moses had a stuttering problem, had a speech problem. So did I. I had my old language for the first five years of my life. And when I went to speech therapy, they put marbles in my mouth to open my mouth and force me to use my tongue. That would not happen today, but that's what they did to me. You would not know that today. That's what Jesus has done. Gideon was afraid. I have a fear of failure and fear of disappointment. Why? Because I come from a long line of overachievers. And then there's me. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Timothy was too young. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Thomas was a doubter. So what is your excuse? God calls you out of the context of who you are and what you do into his kingdom to use who you are and what you do to call people to Jesus. Let me say that again. God calls you out of the context of who you are and what you do into his kingdom to use who you are and what you do to call people to Jesus. You don't have to be a pastor 
to call people to Jesus. Oh, it's my privilege. It's my joy to do so. You don't have to be a camp director to tell people about Jesus. You don't have to be the sound man to help people present the gospel. Why? Because he's paid staff. God is calling each of us to go share the good news. Golly, I don't want to be political, but I'm going to be. What's happening in our country today? We're seeing absolute chaos from the top down. What's right is now wrong. What's wrong is now right. We're blatantly displaying sin on the doorstep of the White House and on flagpoles around the world at U.S. embassies. We're shaking our fist at God. God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And what has happened? We have rejected the Lord. And what has followed suit? Chaos. And people are saying, well, where is God? You told him to get out. But you know where God is? Right here. At least in my heart. At least in my life. And he's given me the commission He's given us the commission, if you're a Christ follower, to go and tell the good news. And as you share the good news, as you share the gospel, as you share the absolute truth, it will refute the lies of the world. It will refute the relative truth of the world, which changes every day. And then you go back to the price of your calling. I can promise you, when I start talking about Jesus, people come after me. I'm not on social media. I'm very thankful for that. But people come after me physically. They do it a little nicer in church. But if I speak at a civic event, when I speak at the North Carolina General Assembly, like Terry has done for the state of Iowa, I've had senators come and undress me in the hall because I talk about Jesus and that was offensive. Okay, I'm sorry. My intention was not to offend you, but the cross is offensive. And I'm just here to tell you that Jesus changed my life. And yet today we sit here in this sanctuary and much like the disciples, Jesus is passing you by today. He's calling you to follow him would you be willing, like Andrew and Peter and James and John, to drop your nets and to leave your boat and to leave your father behind to follow Jesus? Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. 1 Peter 3, for Christ died for sin once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's why God sent his son Jesus. Why? Because he wanted a relationship with you and me. Will you respond when God calls? How will you respond when God calls? Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this evening, and I thank you for this message. And Father, it's, it's a strong message. But Lord, I believe it's very clear that your call in our lives is to follow you.
your commitment to us in our lives is that you will make us. You will mold us. You will make us. You will break us. You will build us into the image, into the man, into the woman, the boy, the girl that you desire us to become and the instrument that you can use for your glory. And Lord, you've also commissioned us to become fishers of men. And so, Father, tonight as you're passing by, there may be someone here tonight that needs to respond to your call to salvation. They've heard that you love them. They've heard of sin and hell and separation and frustration and guilt and shame, and they're tired of feeling that way. And tonight as you're passing by, they want to follow you. And if that's your prayer tonight, then I'm going to ask that you pray silently in your heart and you mean it. And dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Jesus, I ask that you forgive me of my sin. And by faith, I invite you, Jesus, into my heart and into my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed tonight, if you've responded to God's call of salvation, then when we sing our closing song, I want you to come forward and I want you to tell Steve of your decision to follow God's call in salvation. But then there's some of you here as Jesus is passing by tonight. You've heard Christ's call in your life into service. I don't know what that looks like, but you do. Because you've been asking the Lord to show you the way you should go to the right or to the left. And this weekend, he's made it very clear. Maybe it's for you as a father to have daily devotions with your family around the supper table. Maybe it's for you as a bride to pray for your husband at work. Maybe for you as the children, it's to be obedient immediately when mom and dad ask you to do something and not be delayed in your obedience. And maybe others have been called specifically into service, whether to be a missionary with Terry and Haiti, or maybe it's to go into full-time ministry where you go around and you tell people about Jesus. And maybe God's calling you to take your gap year here at Hidden Acres. Whatever it is that God is calling you, I pray that as Jesus is passing by tonight that you would respond out of simple faith and obedience and do what he's called you to do. So Lord Jesus, in these next few moments, I pray that you would move in the hearts and lives of your children. I thank you for this privilege, Lord. I thank you for your son, Jesus, and the life that he gives us, that he offers us freely at the cross. But I thank you, Lord, that the life you offer us is eternal life because of the empty tomb. Lord, we love you. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us tonight as we close out in singing a psalm of praise? But if God is calling you, would you come? 
and be obedient to Christ today.